if I can give you something, right, that would make your skin look better, make your hair grow, help you to be more focused, help you to be more creative, lower your blood sugar, help you to lose weight, have a better attitude, make you have a better interaction with other people, help you to have a better sex life, would you take it? And they're like, yeah, yeah, what is it? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe, the place to learn about how to navigate the healthcare system and understand health in plain language. I'm your host, Nikita Boston Fisher, a health educator with a passion for meeting people where they are. Today's guest is Dr. Dwayne Wood. Dr. Wood is an endocrinologist and the owner and medical director of Diabetes and Endocrine Wellness Center and the Lighter Way in Huntsville, Alabama. He came to the cafe to discuss diabetes, its causes, and its management, and how to advocate for yourself in healthcare settings. Grab your warm drink and tune in for a great conversation. Hi, Dr. Wood. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe. Thank you very much for coming. Please introduce yourself. Hey, Nikita. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, as you said, my name is Dwayne Wood, and I am an endocrinologist practicing in private practice. I work along with my wife, who is a weight loss physician. We live in Huntsville, Alabama, and we've got a teenager in our house now. <laughs> so 13 years old, and I'm just so happy to be here. Wonderful. What is an endocrinologist? That is a great question. I, I tell people that I'm a hormone doctor. So endocrinologists, we study hormones. The endocrine system has glands throughout the body. And um, so these are tissues in the body that produce hormones. And those hormones go into the bloodstream and go to a distance, pl distant place. So for instance, you may have a thyroid hormone, which is in the neck. And the thyroid produces a hormone that then goes throughout the body to regulate metabolism. So we study hormones and throughout the body. Can you tell us a little bit about, list a few hormones? I know probably testosterone is one that folks have heard of, or there's some other common hormones. Yeah, yeah. So probably the most common or most noted hormone is insulin. Most people have heard about insulin as it relates to diabetes. There are thyroid hormones, there's testosterone, there's estrogen, which is a big one, right? So people know about that because of pregnancy, because of menstrual cycles, and of course, because of menopause. And there's also a list of hormones, six actually, that come from the pituitary. And those really are the regulating hormones in the body. There are a lot more than that, but that's a, a short list. Yeah, those are the common ones. <laughs> what made you choose this specialty? Oh, that is an interesting question. <laughs> I actually did not want to choose endocrinology. It wasn't it wasn't what I was heading for. When I started doing my residency, I was actually interested in cardiology. I did a combined internal medicine and pediatric uh, residency so I could see both adults and children. And so I wanted to do cardiac diseases in the adult who had survived pediatric heart diseases. And so that was where I was heading. But midstream kind of decided this was not what I wanted to do. And I, I did a rotation with a guy, Dr. Coracil, a shout out to you, Dr. K, who explained to me a little bit about the thyroid. And in the 15, 20 minutes that we spent talking about the thyroid, a light bulb went on and my interest in endocrinology happened. And here I am. Today, we're going to be talking about diabetes. So could you please tell us a little bit about what causes diabetes? Wow, that is a huge question. <laughs> and it's one right now, there are people in some room somewhere having this conversation. The answer to the question is that we're really not sure. Okay. And I'll, I'll answer this in two different ways. The first is kind of our traditional understanding of diabetes. And then um, a little bit more 
modern and expanded understanding of diabetes. So diabetes is a disease and the most common types of diabetes come in two forms. One, type one, diabetes and type two. Type one diabetes is something that happens, we believe, because there's a genetic predisposition in a person. In other words, their genes predispose them to getting type one diabetes. And then there's an environmental hit, if you will, the second thing that happens through their life. And we believe that they get an infection, most likely a viral infection that damages the cells that make insulin that's in the pancreas. Those cells become inflamed, they get destroyed, and because they get destroyed, there's not any insulin that's made. So type 1 diabetes, by virtue of that, is, is zero insulin or very little insulin being produced. Type 2 diabetes, which is the most common, we believe also there's a genetic predisposition and that the environmental component to type 2 is lifestyle. So obesity, sedentary lifestyle. And so the body is unable to regulate sugars because someone is putting on weight and the insulin that they make doesn't really do the job. And so someone develops type 2 diabetes. So that, if you read the books, that is kind of the traditional understanding. There, there's a little bit more going on there than meets the eye. And for a long time, we didn't understand. Some of the new theories that are coming out, we still have this idea of the two-hit theory, right? So the genetics and also the environmental. And this particularly goes to type 2 diabetes, but we believe that there is a lot of inflammation in the body. So everybody thinks that their, their gut, if you will, that pouch that they have right there, we, they think is just fat. But we think that there are some active substances in the fat that causes them to develop more insulin resistance, so inflammation. We think that stress causes some dysregulation of insulin. And because of that, now we have insulin unable to do its job. So, so there's a lot more, if you will, than, than we traditionally thought about diabetes. But that's kind of a, a nutshell or a thumbnail, if you will. What I noticed about your definition is that you did not mention sugar. Ah, no, I did not. <laughs> not at all. And, and that really is a misconception. Everybody thinks that diabetes is a sugar problem and it is not a sugar problem. The sugar, the elevated sugar is actually a consequence of the problem, right? So it is, it is the symptom of the fact that there's another problem going on. So if that problem wasn't there, we would never have, have high blood sugars. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Are there other myths or misconceptions about diabetes that you think are worth dispelling? There are. I think, I think that's a main one, right? That it is a sugar problem. And it really is that insulin because the insulin is the key, if you will. And everybody kind of uses all the endocrinologists, all the people who are diabetologists use this. Insulin is the key that opens the cells that allows sugar to go in. So if we don't have the right key or the key is ineffective or we don't have a key, then the sugar can't go in. So then the sugar stays outside. Once again, the consequence. One of the other myths that people have is that the only thing that they have to do is manage their food and their activity. And the reason that is not true is that there are more things than food and exercise that affect blood sugars. I mentioned cortisol is one of those hormones that the body produces. And cortisol, its job, it's one of the stress hormones, right? So stress hormones, cortisol, adrenaline, everybody, everybody's kind of heard that term. And the, the point of adrenaline is to go into the body and find energy so that you can do whatever the thing is that's causing the stress. So if you're running from a tiger, cortisol and all the other 
stress hormone, they go and they find energy somewhere, whether it's breaking down carbohydrates, glycogen, breaking down fats, converting that to sugar so that you can run from the tiger. Well, if I'm stressed, right, then my blood sugars can be high because the body thinks I need energy. So it goes, it breaks down fats, it breaks down glycogen, and now my blood sugars go up. Now that is a true thing. If you're running from a tiger, you know, whatever the, the emergency is, then you have a stress. Well, our lifestyles are very stressful. And so there's not a tiger running after us. You know, there's not a, there's not some imminent danger, but we live in a stressful environment. And in that environment, the blood sugars are still high because the stress is happening. How about someone who's not sleeping well? If you don't sleep the next day, your body is in a state of stress. And because of that, the blood sugars are higher. So that has nothing to do with food, but it has everything to do with how the body regulates the cortisol and how that affects blood sugar. Can you mention then, please, some common risk factors for diabetes and then maybe some protective factors? Yeah, so risk factors for diabetes, and this is a big one. Now, the, the risk factors are kind of universal. Some of what we do can be different. For instance, there are almost a half a billion people on the planet that have diabetes. That's a huge number. And here in the United States, for example, we have 88 million that are pre-diabetic. These are people who whose blood sugars are higher than normal, but they don't quite reach the definition of diabetes. So risk factors, putting on weight, a sedentary lifestyle, having other health conditions that are associated with diabetes, like high cholesterol, high blood pressure, metabolic syndrome, right? So all of these are risk factors. There are some ethnic risk factors. So African-Americans, or Africans, wherever they may be. Some of our Hispanic or Asian counterparts also have increased risk for diabetes. If you have a family history of diabetes, if you are in a stressful environment, if you had gestational diabetes, or if you are a baby that's born to someone who had gestational diabetes, right? So all of those things can predispose to diabetes. And you mentioned a little while back, behavioral factors and lifestyle. Right. So if we wanted to avoid diabetes, what are some of the things we should be doing? Ah, so for this one, there's this concept that I have, it's called the toolbox, right? The toolbox. And the toolbox, I use it, that idea because a toolbox is this device, this box that has a bunch of stuff in it. And you could stick your hand in there and pull out any of the tools that are in there. There are some tools that are specific to what you're about to do, but but generally that's there. So what are some things that we can do? Like we've been talking about, you can get rest. I ask people all the time, I said, if I can give you something, right, that would make your skin look better, make your hair grow, help you to be more focused, help you to be more creative, lower your blood sugar, help you to lose weight, have a better attitude, make you have a better interaction with other people, help you to have a better sex life, would you take it? And they're like, yeah, yeah, what is it? And I said, that's sleep, right? So if you get good sleep, all of those things happen. Exercise, right? So activity. And everybody thinks that they have to like join a gym or, you know, run up and down a hill or go skiing to exercise. But exercise simply is moving a muscle. Now, the more you do, the better it is. So running, right, is using more muscles and using more intensity than if you're walking. But if all you can do is walk, then let's walk. If you're sitting in a chair, you can do some curls, get some five pound weights, two and a half pound weights, right? You can do that. If you're an elderly person, you can sit in the chair and lift your legs, right? But everybody wants to have 20 minutes or 30 minutes to go somewhere and do something. We don't do that, right? The body, the mind doesn't want to go anywhere to do anything. 
a lot of people say they don't, you know, they talk about that euphoria that you get the, the, you know, <laughs> when you go exercise, all those endorphins. Most people don't get that. And when we talk to people, we pretend that everybody gets it. No, they don't. That's a comfort because I don't get that. <laughs> oh, here's a big one. Water, right? That is a very underused, overlooked thing that helps to lower blood sugars. I've been called to the emergency department to see a patient whose blood sugars were, you know, six, seven, eight hundred. And we started that person on some fluids and that blood sugar drops with, you know, 200 points without doing anything else. So remaining hydrated helps with blood sugars. Oh, that's an excellent one. Is intermittent fasting safe for diabetics? Ah, you know, intermittent fasting. I love that. I love that one. <laughs> intermittent fasting actually has come along and it has taken the wellness industry by storm, right? So everybody's talking about intermittent fasting. If you read everything and you watch videos, intermittent fasting, for those of you who are listening, simply means that there's a period of time during the day, during a 24 hour where you don't take anything in that has any caloric content, right? So nothing that has any calories to it. And then there's another time, another period during the day, that 24 hour period where you are eating and you're eating the stuff, you know, that gives you energy. And, and it comes in lots of different forms. The most common, of course, is a 16-8 to make up 24 hours. So 16 of fasting and eight hours of eating. And it is a wonderful thing. I use it in our practice. I use it personally. And the idea with intermittent fasting is that it's supposed to allow the body to process the food that you've eaten without putting more food into the system. And that allows lots of different things. For instance, you know, there, there's a thought that it lowers your insulin level. And we know insulin is an anabolic hormone and it makes people put on weight. And so if I'm not putting any food in and my insulin is going down, then theoretically my blood sugars are going down, right? Because I'm not eating and my insulin is going down and my weight's going down. And for some reason, we don't know why yet, but people seem to feel better. And so for diabetics, I, I love it. I advise people to do it all the time. I use it in our practice. There is one group of people, and that's the type one diabetics that we are very cautious about with intermittent fasting. Not that they can't do it, but remember their requirement is insulin. So if they're not eating, the potential is that their blood sugars drop too low and then they have to back off their insulin. But remember, they are insulin required or they require insulin. So that can get them into some trouble. Something I sometimes hear people say is, oh, I can't eat rice if I'm diabetic, or I can't eat too many ground provisions because they're starchy. Mm -hmm. Is that a thing? <laughs> is, that, is that a real concern? I got to be careful with how I answer this one, because there are so many different camps when it comes to this, right? The, the first thing that I want people to kind of step back and think about is that there are countries where the staple that they eat is rice and they don't have the type of diabetes that we may have in North America, right? So if that's the case, then rice itself can't be a bad thing. Maybe there's something going on with the rice that we're eating that's causing an issue. But simply saying that you can't eat rice is the wrong thing to say. We've got to figure out, well, what's causing it, right? So, so I don't subscribe to you can't eat rice. Now, what I tell people is that you've got to be conscious of the quantity that is the portion that you're eating. If you sit down and eat a giant bowl of rice and you don't exercise and you don't drink water and you don't manage your stress, if you don't do those things, guess what? The rice all of a sudden is going to cause diabetes. But it wasn't the rice that caused it. It was the fact that you didn't do all the other things that go along with eating the rice. And so if we do things that offset it, then I think that's good. Now, 
Having said that, one of the big issues that we run into is that we often talk to people in North American language. Okay. Now we live in North America. I practice in North America. I practice in the United States. So when we sit down with someone, the material that we have available to us is material that was designed here. Okay. So, you know, we were talking a little earlier about Guyana, which is where I'm from. Okay. So if I take, for instance, I'll use my dad. He passed away you know, about three, four years ago. So if I take my dad and he was a diabetic and I bring him to the doctor or even to my office and I sit him down and I lay out in front of him all the stuff that looks like, okay, these are good diabetic things. My dad looks at that and he said, wait a minute, there's nothing on this piece of paper that I eat because it has nothing to do with what, yeah. <laughs> right? There's no yam, there's no cassava, there's no, you know, right? There's none of that, right? And so we send that person home with this list of things to eat and they go home and they can't do it because it's not what fits into their lifestyle. And they come back and they have not doing it. And then we say, okay, you're not following my treatment plan, right? So you're a non-compliant patient. Well, it's not non-compliant. We just didn't take the time to incorporate what they eat into our plan. So if we do that and we give a good plan that's based on what people normally eat, what people are eating in their daily lives, and we give them a structure to do it, then I think people will be able to eat rice and I mean, we can call all the carbs that you want, yeah. <laughs> but they'll be able to incorporate some of that roti and yeah, sorry. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I always like to ask my physician guests about healthcare advocacy and going mm -hmm. to the doctor. Right. Are there any questions that you wish patients would ask, but they often don't? Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, why why am I taking this medication or why are you prescribing it? Maybe that's a better phraseology, right? Because we, we're, we're human too, first of all, let me say that. So sometimes we see a question as a challenge, right? Just by virtue of how it's being asked. And so <clears throat> I encourage people when you're asking questions, you've got to also understand that this person that's standing in front of you is a physician, but they are treating you as a physician who is a human and all of their humanness is in the room with you. And so it's just like, you know, when I'm here at home, I can walk up and say, why did you cook that? Right. And my wife would look at me and, you know, like, well, you don't have to eat it. <laughs> right. So the question is, you know, what's the reason for this medication? I guess that's a better way of asking it. Oftentimes I prescribe a medication and if I'm not careful, I prescribe the medication, the person walks out and they don't know why that medication was given. They're like, oh, well, Dr. Wood gave it to me. Well, but they didn't ask, well, what, what, is, this, what is this for? So we try in our office to, to explain, okay, this is what this medication does. This is what we're giving it to you for and, and so forth. So that's one question. The other one is, what am I supposed to be working on for the next visit? Because you can, you can imagine for diabetes, which is what we're talking about, or any of the other disease processes that we treat, when I'm sitting down to talk to a patient about the disease, there may be five or six things that we talk about. And if we're not careful, the patient walks out and they've got these five or six things on the list. And okay, what's my homework? <laughs> right? What, what one of those things am I supposed to be working on for this next visit? So what we've started doing in our office is when the patient comes back, I'll say to them, right, what do you want to get from this visit? Okay, this is what we discussed last time. This is what I have on my list of things. But what do you want to get from this visit so that we can incorporate both what I'm thinking we're going to do with what's going on? Because sometimes the patient comes in and the thing that is on their mind has nothing to do with what I'm about to talk about. And if we're not kind of working together to try to find 
a path forward, I end up talking about what I'm going to talk about and they leave and they're like, well, I didn't even get to ask my question. And then I think the final thing is, and talking about diabetes, how can I incorporate this particular thing that I'm interested in into my life, right? For example, let's talk about some holidays. So Thanksgiving, there are patients who are diabetic. When Thanksgiving is coming around, they begin to panic because they know they're, they're diabetic. They know they're going to visit the family, but they have no concept of how to manage, how to navigate being in a room with people who are all eating with food all over the place and being a diabetic and st still managing their blood sugar. So how do I prepare for an event? I'm going, you know, um, I've got patients who travel. I've got patients who they entertain, they're business people. And I'm going to this function, Dr. Wood, how do I manage myself as a diabetic at that function? So I think that would be an awesome question. I love that question. <laughs> Can you think of an example, and so please share it, where you saw a patient advocate for themselves? Let me tell a story of a place where a patient and their spouse advocated. The spouse initiated, but the patient then took over. Okay? When I first started practicing, I was almost 290 pounds as the endocrinologist. I struggled with food addiction. I struggled with obesity. And, and that's a whole nother story. But anyway, so I'm, I'm in the room. And so we, we're treating patients, right? We're treating patients. We're trying to get their blood sugars under control. And there's this one lady whose blood sugars were difficult to control. But finally, after, after a while, we got it under control. Her A1C came down and we're just so excited about it. And I am in the room and I mean, haha, I had a girl, you know, pat on the back. And I'm getting ready to walk out the room because the visit is over. And she started crying. And her husband got up and he put his hand on her shoulder and he said, OK, you have to tell him. And so I come back in the room and I say, you know, what, what's what's going on? And she said, nobody ever talks about my weight. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, we always talk about my blood sugar, but everybody is afraid to talk about my weight. And she was a pretty big woman. I think her BMI was probably almost 60. And she said, she said, Dr. Wood, when I get dressed at night, I am in the bathroom. I have the lights off because I don't want to see myself in the mirror. Oh. And because if I look at my, myself in the mirror, I think to myself, who is that? And I want to hear the word that she used. Who is that creature? She said, I throw my clothes on and I jump under the covers because I don't want my husband to see me. And she said, can you help me? She said, I'm glad that the blood sugars are okay. I'm glad that we finally got that. But can we work on the weight? And I want to tell you that it was her conversation with me that partially helped me lose weight. That also helped me change my concept about what we do in the office. So that was an example of advocating, okay, we got we to gotta take care of this weight thing, but then that now affecting me. And because it affected me, it now affects all my patients and everybody I talk to. Meaning that you're no longer hesitant to bring up weight with your patients? Meaning now I am not just not hesitant to bring up weight, but am so much interested in what are the other things that are going on. Right. Because we th we think we think that weight is the problem, but weight is the symptom. So we're always trying to take away, you know, somebody's cookie or candy or whatever it is. Right. And we don't ask the question, well, why are they eating the candy in the first place? Right. So it's not a candy problem. The candy is the symptom and the weight is the symptom of the candy. So what made them eat the candy? Well, they ate the candy because they're lonely. They ate the candy because they're going through a divorce. They ate the candy because they hate their job. Right. So there are all these other things that are now coming to light. But if we concentrate on, okay, let me get her to exercise and eat better. We miss the whole concept and the whole process of really digging in and helping that person to come to 
the mindset and the realization, okay, that we've got to do something differently. Love that story. Thank you for sharing. Do you have any tips for navigating the system and not falling through the cracks? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Let's see. Number one, take someone with you. We all, you know, we we live in this independent world, and that's that's great. You know, we we want strong people. But I think, let me give you an example. When I go to the doctor, me, the endocrinologist, when I go to the doctor and I come home, my wife says, hey, what did he say about that? And I was like, oh, I didn't ask him. Me, that, that's me. Right? the endocrinologist. <laughs> I'm the endocrinologist. <laughs> oh, I forgot that. So, so I'm in the system. I understand the verbiage. I understand the terminology. I understand the disease processes. What happens if you are not one of, one of the people that are in the system? right? You're sitting there and the person is talking and hopefully the doctor is not all just saying, you know, medical words. They're, they're kind of trying to get you to understand. But even then the studies tell us that when someone walks out of my office, when they walk out of the door, they forget 75% of the things I just told them. Huge. So first take someone with you, right? Not because you're, and I'm going to use this word, not because you're a dumb person, not because you're uneducated, not because you're not going to understand, but when you're in the emotion of being in the office, the amount of things that you forget goes up. And so this person is sitting there kind of like your external brain and they can say to you, oh yeah, this is what he said, or you can bounce things off of them. And there are times where I'm looking at a person and they're like, do you understand? Do you understand? Do you understand? And the person who's with them says, hey, Dr. Wood, what about da, da, da? And I'll explain. And the person who was saying that they understood is like, oh, that's what you were saying? <laughs> so take someone with you. Number two, ask questions. Now, this can be a big one, depending on where you are, what culture you come from, because there are some cultures where you don't ask questions. You don't ask questions of the doctor, right? Because the doctor is like this person. And I get it. I understand. And I'm not telling you to be disrespectful, even when you do ask the question. But ask questions. If you're starting on a new medication, if you have a new diagnosis, ask the question, how did we come to that diagnosis? What is the reason for this medication that we're going on? What's the reason for the test you're sending me to? What's the reason for sending me to the specialist, this, this other specialist, right? So, cause I refer people to other physicians, but why are you sending me to that guy? Okay. Find out from your doctor, what are some of his or her trusted online resources and begin reading those. Now, there's a lot of stuff on the internet and I give my patients certain things that I want them to look at. If you want to find out about thyroid, I want you to go to this place. If you want to find out about diabetes, I want you to go to this place, right? So when they come back, we can have a conversation based on what I think is good, sound data, right? So ask your, your physician those, those questions and then make sure that you're following up with your physician. And if you're changing something, now, once again, I'm going to be careful with this answer. There are times when I prescribe something and the patient goes to church, they, goes to the soup, they go to the supermarket, they go to the pharmacy, they go somewhere and someone says to them, oh, my cousin took that and, you know, they lost their leg or their cousin took that and they died. The cousin took that and they went blind. The cousin took this and something, right? And so that person stops it and they come back and say, hey, you know, are you taking this medication? They're like, no, I'm not taking it. I was like, oh, what, what happened? He's like, oh yeah, Joe told me that it wasn't good. Now, I have nothing against Joe and he is probably a good one. You know, the lady in the back of the church, that's your, you know, she's probably a nice lady, but talk to me, right, about what we're going to do. And I'm, I may, I may say, sure. You know, okay, let's let's stop it for now and let's do something else. But when you come back and I ask you about it and you tell me Joe said it, then I'm thinking, well, why did you come to see me? You can let Joe take care of that for you. 
<laughs> and I, and you know, and, yeah. and folks, if you're listening, I'm not, you know, I'm not knocking getting information from other places because I'm on your team. My goal is not to do things to harm you, right? So, so my goal is to help you. And so if I'm on your team, I want you to involve me in your in, in the decision. And there are times people call up and they say, hey, Dr. Wood, I know you prescribed this and, and I understand why you did it, but I really don't want to do that right now. And I'll say to them, sure, let's, you can stop it and we'll talk about it at your next visit. We spent today talking about diabetes. But what are some other common endocrine diseases that you treat? Oh, wow. Well, let's see where to start. <laughs> so other than diabetes, probably the next most common endocrine disorder that people see. Well, let me not say it that way. So another one is thyroid disease. So whether it's hypo or hyper, overactive or underactive thyroid and thyroid nodules. The reason that changed when I said the most common is because if we think endocrine, right? Probably the most common um, endocrine thing that we see is menopause. Oh, really? Right? <laughs> because that's a hormonal thing. It's within the endocrine system. And, and even though we have, you know, half a billion people who have diabetes, how many people on the, on the continent or on, in the world go through menopause? A whole lot more. So that's probably, if I had to kind of redo what I said, that's probably the most common endocrine disorder. Because everybody doesn't go through menopause smoothly because there are a lot of things that come up. So thyroid, menopause, there's osteoporosis, which is another one. So thinning of the bones, um, or osteopenia, thinning of the bones, or osteoporosis, decreased bone mineralization. There's hypogonadism, so low testosterone. There's erectile dysfunction. There's infertility, which is endocrine, an endocrine thing. There is polycystic ovarian syndrome, gestational diabetes, and pituitary tumors, thyroid cancer, Cushing syndrome, which is an excessive steroids that the adrenals produce for some for one reason or another. So all of those are endocrine disorders. Of course, you know diabetes has taken the head of everything, so everybody thinks diabetes, but there's so many more endocrine disorders that we see. In your practice, what's the most common? Would it be diabetes? Yeah, most most common would be diabetes, followed by thyroid diseases. Uh, We have a fair number of low testosterone, so hypogonadism. We have pituitary tumors. We've got adrenal insufficiency. We've got adrenal nodules that we see. That's probably the top list of, of things that we may see in the you office. You really blew my mind with the menopause. I would have never guessed. I just would have assumed that would be a, like a gynecologist probably. <laughs> in a lot of places, a lot of places, the gynecologists do take care of that. The friends, where, where I came from before, I, I was in Memphis. And so the endocrinologists were the ones who did it. Here, where I am now, the gynecologists tend to, to do that. But it is a shared thing that we see between the two specialties. Very neat. Now, as we come to the end of our interview, Dr. Wood, is there anything you think I should have asked you, but didn't ask that you think is important for people to know or any other closing thought that you share? So, so one of the thoughts and, and kind of going back to diabetes in general, and I think, but this could be expanded to so many different areas, whether it's losing weight, whether it's managing stress, getting better sleep and so forth. If we're going to be successful, we have to have a structure. And I talk 
a lot about what I call guardrails. And I get this from my son, actually. He was maybe nine or 10. And he said to me, he's like, Daddy, why do they have guardrails, you know, on the side of the road? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, nobody ever deliberately runs their car off the road, right, into the guardrail. I said, no, but if they do accidentally run, they're so happy that the guardrails are there. And we fight sometimes against guardrails in our life, but guardrails are good. Guardrails give us structure because guardrails allow us to bump into something and that something alerts us that, hey, you're you're a little too far in this area. And so I tell, tell people, begin in your life looking for ways to remind you what is the thing that's going to say to you, hey, I need to be doing something differently, right? So sometimes we have these these almost like taskmasters, right? So these things that we put in our lives that are kind of beating us up with the head, oh, you should be doing it. Let me circle back for a minute. I have had people walk into my office. I mean, grown people, right? Men and women who walk into the office, their heads are hung, their eyes are down, their shoulders are hung, their back is bent. And I say to them, what, you know, what happens? I messed up and I didn't really want to come to this visit today. I have never, like I just got my car back from the shop. I have never driven my car into the, see the mechanic, to get an oil change. And regardless of how long the oil chain has been, I've never had him walk over to me and slap me on the hand and say, oh, you should have brought this car in earlier. But that's what we've set up in the treatment system that, you know, I'm this guy up here with a wild cane <laughs> or a belt. And when you come in, I kind of beat you over the head. But just like I take my car to the mechanic, what people are doing when they walk into my office, they're saying, hey, this is broken. Help me figure out how to fix it. And so giving them tools to be able to do that is what I try to get people to understand that that's my job. That's what I do. That's what I love doing. How do we figure out for you how we can get you where you need to be. Because ultimately the goal is not blood sugar control. Let me say that again. The goal is not blood sugar control. The goal is how do we get you to live as long as possible and be as healthy as possible? But if we concentrate on the sugar, then we miss the whole thing, right? So talk with your doctor. Well, what are the things that we can do in my life that I can implement to help me get to my goal? And I think if you do that, then you'll be great at controlling blood sugars. And, and blood sugar control is never going to be, nobody's ever going to love it, right? But it doesn't have to be the arduous thing that we make it out to be. Thank you very much for coming to the Good Health Cafe today. It was a pleasure hearing your insights. Well, thank you for having me. And I tell everyone, we've got to educate, we've got to encourage, we've got to empower people. That's what we want to do. And you do that through your YouTube show, which I'm going to put in the show notes because it's pretty big. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. We do a show every Monday at seven o'clock, seven central. Thank you, Dr. Wood. Well, thank you much, Nikita. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I enjoyed hearing Dr. Wood dispel some of the myths about diabetes and also learning about some of the other diseases that endocrinologists treat. Some key takeaways are there are two forms of diabetes, type 1 and type 2. Diabetes is not a sugar problem. Blood sugar levels are affected by more than just food and exercise and sleep is important. Until next time, see you in the cafe later. Bye.